0: conversation with uh, a Rich Artis, who's my father-in-law, about the mountains. Man, and, and talking about how uh, we've not seen him show up like that for quite some time. And um, it's just awe-inspiring. And as I was reading some commentaries on Ephesians this week, which is a book that we're going to study together as a church, They were talking about how the book of Ephesians was the Alps of the New Testament. Or the Grand Canyon of Scripture. And um, really because of of what it lays out. And really it's a pretty grand... The book of Ephesians is a pretty grand picture. A pretty awe-inspiring picture. Of not just our position, but our responsibilities and our privileges... And really, our, our calling in Christ, and uh, that also, you know, just an amazing part of the Book of Ephesians is Jesus Christ revealed. The way that they re, the way that Jesus Christ is revealed in Ephesians is awe inspiring. He's described as our Redeemer. He's described as the one in whom and by whom history will be consummated. He's described as the resurrected Lord who has risen victorious over death and hell. He's the peacemaker who's reconciled God and man. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the treasure in whom life's riches are found. He's the giver of ministry gifts to His church. He's the victor who has broken hell's ability to keep mankind captive. He's the model husband who is giving himself to his bride, which is the church. And he's mighty in battle. And he's the strength for a church engaged in spiritual warfare. And for the next ten weeks, as as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're going to be celebrating the revelation of Jesus Christ that's in this book of the Bible. And we're going to be doing so by taking communion... And kind of focusing on each one of these things. So for the next uh, 10 weeks, we'll be doing this together. And we'll probably figure out a better way to do it. <laughs> we'll get a little better at it. And, um, but that's what we'll be up to as we go. I, my, my desire is to go through the book of Ephesians in a pretty interactive way. That it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but it would be what David Moore prayed for us last week. That we would know him. That we would experience him. And that these lofty concepts would become a reality for us. So um, I want to today continue to introduce the book of Ephesians by continuing in Acts 19. If you were here last week, um, David Moore gave us a glimpse of what was going on in Ephesus by starting in Acts uh, Acts chapter 19. And so I just want to continue where he left off and continue to introduce this book to you guys. And really, as we read um, Acts 19 together, I want to share with you three things that the the epistle of Ephesians, that it really focuses on developing in a church. Ephesians is written by a pastor, Pastor Paul, who spent quite some time in Ephesus. And he's focusing on developing some things in the church. And those three things that we're going to find in Acts 19 today is... He's trying to develop through the book of Ephesians... A body of people that are born of the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit. He's also developing a body of people that are sensitized to spiritual realities. They understand the spiritual realm. They understand what's going on. And he's also trying to develop a body in Ephesus that is united... And it's mobilized. And it's focused on advancing the kingdom of God. So open with me to um, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. I believe it's 19, verse 1. Yeah, here we go. Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth. Just a little note here that... uh, While Paul was in Ephesus, which he spent over two years, he actually wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So the first thing that Paul finds when he shows up in Ephesus is a pack of 12 guys. And he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. I thought it was really interesting as I was reading Acts 19 that really the way that the church starts in Ephesus, the very first thing that Paul does when he gets to Ephesus is fill twelve guys with the Holy Spirit by laying hands on them. And if you remember, it says here in the, the passage, but John was the cousin of Jesus... Who came before Jesus to prepare the way. He came preaching a baptism of repentance. And really these guys probably received that nearly 20 20 years prior to this. So these guys had been hanging around in Ephesus. Uh, They had got the first part of the story. And had been preparing their hearts for the second part. And what's amazing is Paul cruises up, starts to share and they respond immediately. They immediately responded. And I want to bring you back to that first point that Paul's desire in the book of Ephesians, and you can see it all throughout, is to develop a body, a corporate body of Christians that are spirit-formed and spirit-filled. You've probably heard this before, that you shouldn't be drunk on wine, but you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We find that in the book of Ephesians. His desire is to develop a body of believers that are full of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because I I think there's um, there's a lot that we could talk about in regards to what happens after he lays hands on them and prays that they receive the Holy Spirit because they start to speak in tongues and they start to prophesy. But really the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't tongues. Tongues accompanies it, it comes with it. But really what, what what was brought about in these guys' lives as a result of receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit was boldness. They got bold. And you can see that over and over in, in Scripture. That when the Holy Spirit comes on someone and fills somebody in a fresh way, it's for empowered witness. They become so bold. And it's the same way with these twelve guys. People who get filled with the Spirit, they become enlightened to their mission and their authority in Christ. Let's read on in verse 8. Then Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. This is kind of funny because he shows up. And he's immediately greeted by 12 guys who respond immediately. Hey, sounds good. Hey, we haven't heard of this Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Sounds good. We're in, you know. And uh, pray for me. And then he proceeds on to the synagogue where he argues for three months and nothing comes to fruition. And I I, I think it's really interesting because Jesus is like that. Uh, The Puritans said that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. I don't know why that is, but there's some people that are so... It's like the the, the message of the Son of God, the message of Jesus, can either melt the ice or harden the clay. And Paul experiences this as he arrives in Ephesus. (laughs) Twelve guys that are ready to rock and roll. seems like their hearts have been prepared. And then three months of arguing persuasively. And obviously, I mean, Paul could probably lay down a pretty good argument. So um, there's some resistance there. Some of them, it says, became obstinate and they refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way, which is one of the early names for Christianity, the way. So Paul left them and he took his disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall. And, um, you know, this wouldn't be any different than Paul showing up here, having difficulty here and then renting a room at the convention center. And so for a couple years, he hosted Jesus classes in a conference room, a community hall at the, you know, the Lions Club. I, I don't know, whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So for a couple years, he taught classes in Ephesus. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Uh, incredible. Incredible! This church has been going now for nearly five years. And I cannot to get my head around something that would spread that rapidly uh, in two. Uh, the province of Asia Minor was about the size of California. And it had heard the word of the Lord as a result of Paul's work in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was uh, incredible. They speculate that over 400 churches was planted, were planted from the church in Ephesus. And I want to say something, you know, real quick. I think um, David touched on it last week, but there was a reason that Paul stayed in Ephesus as long as he did. I think that he knew that reaching Ephesus meant reaching the world. It was a really prominent city, a port city. And uh, a couple things that I want to reiterate, a couple things that David shared last week, um, a couple things that made this city an important city. And and the first was just simply economics. It was a trade center, this city was. It was situated at the mouth of a river, and it was a wealthy city because of the the seaport. The second was just sheer size. It was the biggest city in Asia Minor. And it was not the capital. um, Pergamum was. But... Um, Ephesus was probably the most prominent God, Diana and it was ranked David shared a bit about it last week but it was her temple was ranked as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world as I was reading about this temple it had 127 columns that supported it that were 197 feet tall and so people would come from all over Um, to this temple. And as David was sharing last week, they would take a month to celebrate Artemis together. And not only that, but she was inscribed on their coins. Um, So so Ephesians, Ephesus, um, was a wealthy city. It was a cultured city. It was a huge city. And it was a very religious city. And so I say that because I think Paul understood that if he could break in in Ephesus this poor city that it would spread everywhere. And so he spent longer there than really anywhere else over two years um, establishing the church in Ephesus and really the church in Ephesus did exactly what he had hoped it would it spread and they were responsible like I said of planting a number of churches. Let's read on. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. Tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Would have been awesome to be there for that. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Eight million dollars worth of goods piled in the center of the city to be burned. Um, As I read about this, I started to have some uh, visuals of something like this going on in our own city. How incredible that would be to see a revival um, hit a city in that way. So where eight million dollars worth of stuff is piled up and we and we and we set it on fire. That, and if and in Ephesus, it wasn't the only time that this happened. Uh, I, I read a record in, in a book called "Awakening Cry" of something that similar that happened, where the city came together and the pile. That you know, this isn't just your secular CDs. Uh, the, the pile that they put together was actually forty feet high, um, and they set it ablaze. This brings me to my second point, which the the book of Ephesians um, seeks to develop. The book of Ephesians seeks to develop a body of people that are sensitized to spiritual realities. We just read about healing. We just read about deliverance taking place. And Paul, as he writes the book of Ephesians, is trying to get people to tune in to what's going on. That there's a realm beyond this material one. There's a realm beyond what we see. And the book of Ephesians seeks to develop a church that understands spiritual realities. And don't we need this? Seriously. This is really difficult. I work down here. I'm down here all week. And sometimes it's fantastic to get together with you guys on Sundays. And just join together and discover again that there's something beyond Monday through Friday eight to five, that there's something beyond this material world, that there's actually things going on that we can't see. And I think sometimes we really need to come together as a church and be sensitized. I think we become numb to the spiritual realm. I think we ignore it most of the time. In fact, those who don't ignore it are weirdos, right? It's like, geez, man, let's just get some lunch, you know? Let's just watch the game, you know? We got to bring that up today, you know? And the church in Ephesus succeeded because it was sensitized to the spiritual realm. It knew what was going on. And Paul was trying to develop a church that knew what was going on behind the scenes. There were these two groups, and I've shared this before because you've, you know, and and many of you have probably heard these names, but uh, Jesus, um, you know, tangoed with both these groups while he was here. Um, They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were like... They were like a a zealous sectarian movement. Um, Paul was a part of these guys prior to his conversion. They developed laws. Quite a few laws. And they developed those laws to separate themselves from others. They were a sectarian movement. They pulled away. And they separated themselves from others in an effort to maintain their holiness. Their holiness was defined by what they abstained from and what they avoided. Um, they looked down on everyone uh, and conveniently overlooked their own sin, which you're also good at. And, uh, and really, I, I, think, I think they've developed for us a rut that many of us travel today. Really. Really. That, you know, we might not have Pharisees. You might not belong to that group today. But I believe that there's a rut that we can still travel today. And we travel that rut when we emphasize anything we can do over what God has done for us in Jesus. When you start to emphasize anything you can do over what God has done for you in Jesus, welcome to Pharisee land. Welcome to the rut. Have fun. I think that we also travel this rut today... We we do. We travel this rut when we think that we achieve holiness by avoiding sinners. You actually think that your holiness is the result of avoiding sinners and hiding in a Christian subculture. And and really the Pharisees didn't do what Jesus said because they loved God at the expense of loving others. They didn't hold those things in tension. And then there were this other group, the Sadducees. And I and I actually think that there are probably more here. That would travel the rut that the Sadducees traveled than the Pharisee. These guys blended into culture. They were more culturally accommodating. They were a liberal movement in Jesus' day. And then rather than pulling away from culture like the Pharisee, they synchronized with it. And this is what happened when they synchronized with culture. They denied the spiritual realm. That was the difference between these Pharisees and these Sadducees. As they synchronized with culture, they denied the reality of the spiritual realm. And they denied the resurrection of Jesus. And so it was like, what was the first thing to go was kind of the miraculous. Everything that they couldn't explain was the first thing to go. And I think this is the, tr- the, the rut that we really travel. It's a little bit more like a Sadducee than a Pharisee, really. Really? We've synchronized with culture to the point where we've denied the spiritual realm. It's fairy tale. I think that we get uh, stuck in this rut when we don't take serious uh, sin and we don't take serious scripture. Scripture is not our authority. We're getting input from quite a few different spots. And scripture might just be one of those sources. And I think we get stuck in this rut. You get stuck in this rut because you care more about what culture thinks than what God thinks. You're stuck in this rut because you care more about what people think than what God thinks. That's what the Sadducees had going on. And they loved the world at the expense of loving God. They didn't hold that tension that Jesus calls us to. So all that to say, the book of Ephesians is designed to sensitize people to the spiritual realities and the spiritual realm. That there's something going on beyond the material world. Something going on beyond what we can see and touch. After this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem passing through Macedonia after I've been there he said I must visit Rome also he sent two of his helpers Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer this is a this is the last point i want to make about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way a silversmith named Demetrius so so you understand what happened here. You know, Diana is one of the seventh seven wonders of the ancient world. And there's quite a bit of industry that goes on around people visiting that spot. You know, you understand how this goes, um, where there's actually industry that surrounds this, uh, you know, this spot, this place that people are being drawn. And um, Paul's causing so, such an uproar that they're taking their trinkets, their statues... And they, you know, they they made a burn pile in the in the center of the city and, and lit it on fire. And so Paul's starting to upset not just a religious system but an economic system. And there's a great disturbance, and a silversmith named Demetrius, which this uh, an iron worker is the wrong guy to have beef with, I think, especially in the ancient world. He made silver shrines of Artemis. And he brought in no little business for the, for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we're receiving a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Quite an uproar this guy is causing, you know, from the community hall. The assembly... Uh, sorry. When they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" Soon, the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, rushed as one man into the theater. So they went to the theater, the twenty-five thousand seat theater. This is where they went. Paul, <laughs> this is awesome. Paul wants to appear before the crowd. So a mob of 25,000 people has moved to a theater chanting. And Paul's thinking to himself, this is a great opportunity for the gospel to go forth. Let me take the stage. I got this one. But the disciples, they wouldn't let him go. Paul, this is the wrong time to preach, my friend. Even some of the officials in the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture out into the theater. The assembly was in confusion and some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's awesome. Welcome to America. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So he comes out to try to get the crowd's attention and they just see him and find out that he's a Jew. And they respond by starting to scream, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This goes on for two hours while Paul and the rest of the guys sit backstage. Crazy. What a craze. What a riot. The city clerk finally quieted the crowd and said, "Men of Ephesus doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the garden guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven, therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men before you have brought these men here and, and listen to this though they have." Neither robbed temples nor blaspheming our goddess. As I stared at that scripture and I started to think that. So here's Paul. And he's now taking out a religious system and an economic system. By not bringing a single charge against it. I started to think to myself, what is he talking about? If he's crushed this religious and this economic system by not bringing a charge against it, what is he talking about? What does a candidate talk about if they can't talk about Hillary Clinton? You know, it's like he's spending no time talking about uh, Artemis, Diana, Their economic system. He's not calling people from something. He's calling people to something. Altogether different. If there was a burn pile in the center of the city. It wasn't the result of Paul spending his time teaching. On how if you play this Led Zeppelin song backwards. It says Satan. (laughs) That's not what he was talking about. That's not what led people to take their secular CDs to the burn pile, which I'm guessing that if you've grown up in church, you've maybe done once or twice. Brent, four times. (laughs) How is he bringing down a system without bringing charge against it? unless this was some sort of gross overstatement but i'm not sure that this crowd would have heard that and the, this last point i want to bring up is that paul was focused in the book of ephesians to bringing people beyond a negative definition that's what mobilized this church that's what united this church that's what caused this church to thrive is that Christianity wasn't defined by what you didn't do. Christianity wasn't defined by what you abstained from. Christianity, to the Ephesians, was defined by what you engaged in. And Paul was preaching that. There's a couple different ways to gather people. Uh, There is what is called a bounded set. And there is a centered set. And you've heard me make this analogy before, but the difference is the difference between a well and a fence. And the church, for too long, has been a bounded set. And by bounded, I mean a group of objects defined by a boundary, separating those inside the set from those outside the set. We set up fences. And then the job of the pastor is to police that fence and decide who's in and who's out. And all our focus is going towards the perimeter or towards the boundary that keeps people together. <laughs> but there's a different way to gather. And if you actually ranch a ton of... Acre, if you, if you uh, Is that right where you ranch? Tim, do you ranch acreage? Does that make any sense? Yeah, what would you call that? You run cattle. Run cattle? Okay. So if you've got a ton of acres, <laughs> you don't put a fence around it is what I'm getting at. If you've got acreage, I'm talking about serious acreage, you don't put a fence around it. You can't afford to. You can't police the boundary. What you do is you dig wells, and the cattle know that if they, get a, if they get too far from that well, they'll die. And so they'll stay fairly close to that well. And I think that's the different way to gather. It's a centered set. And that's a group of objects that's defined by its proximity to the center. It's defined by its proximity to the center, not defined by the boundary that surrounds it. In Matthew 25, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. You've maybe heard this before. He doesn't separate those two groups by saying, those on my right, you didn't smoke. You didn't drink. You didn't cuss. You didn't have sex before marriage. He separates the sheep from the goats by saying, those on my right, this is what you did do. You fed me invited me in again i don't think there's anything wrong with negative definition and i'm not i'm not saying that there shouldn't be boundaries that's not what i'm saying but i think sometimes your christianity might be defined by what you abstain from and if your christianity is not drinking if that's what your christianity is good freaking luck really good luck this church started in in quite a bit of negative definition i think a lot of things that are immature start in negative de- definition you may have found yourself saying this i'm going to get married well, what would that be like what will you do once you're married i don't know but it won't be like my parents marriage that's what i do know you know again it's like we don't know what we're doing but we know what we don't want to do you know same with the church we're planting a church really awesome what will you guys do i don't know but we won't do what they do you know <laughs> so this is how we define ourselves right and it's really immature to be honest with you yeah and it just doesn't sustain and paul moved a group of people in ephesus from a negative definition to a positive definition. It was about what they were engaging in, not what they were abstaining from. It was about the superior pleasure found in knowing Christ, not about the inferior pleasures that you were to do away with. Is your Christianity defined by what you abstain from? Or by what you engage in? The book of Ephesians, it unfolds Jesus' intentions and his commitment to build a glorious church. This is about Jesus and his intentions and his commitment to build a glorious church. A church that is born of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. A church that is sensitized to spiritual realities and isn't numbed out to them like the Sadducee because they've synchronized with culture. And a group that's being mobilized and advancing in the kingdom because they've moved beyond negative definition. And they know what they've been called to engage. They know what they've been called to do. And this church that Jesus has committed to build, this glorious church, is a radiant church, says Ephesians, without spot or wrinkle. This isn't the result of something we do, but something he's done. This is a ministering church. We're going to go on to talk in the book of Ephesians. We're not going to go verse by verse through this book. We're going to talk about some key themes. I mean, we could probably spend the rest of our lives in Ephesians 1 alone. So we're going to move forward. But we're going to talk about your position in Christ. Your position in Christ is what kicks this whole thing off. Your identity in Christ. Your security in Christ. And then we're going to talk about justification. Because the reason that you have that place and the reason that you have um, that position is because of justification, because of what Jesus has done for you. That while you were dead in your sins, you were made alive in Christ. And then we're going to talk together about connection. You get the T-I-O-N thing going on here? I worked pretty hard at this. A couple real late nights, so... That we have a connection with God. And we have a connection with others because we've been justified. We've been reconciled to God. And we've now been reconciled to others. You know that the scriptures never call you to forgive because the person is worth forgiving. The scriptures never call you to forgive and be reconciled because that person is forgivable. The scriptures call you to forgive because you've been forgiven that's your motivation to forgive so we have connection with god and we have connection with others based on a position and based on justification we're also going to talk about representation that we're called to walk worthy says ephesians we're called to represent christ we're going to talk about the reflection that he set up in the home and we're going to talk about opposition and how to withstand it. And so this is kind of the course, and we'll probably spend a couple weeks on each one of these topics. Next week, as Aaron Strumpel leads us in worship, June Ainley is going to be talking about our adoption as sons and daughters. And so, um, again, I just want to invite you guys. Really, we we want to experience the book of Ephesians. We want to pray it. Uh, we want to read it. We want to sit on it. We want to think about it. Um, because we want more than just a, I, I think. You know, many of you probably have some sort of understanding of your position in Christ. You might be able to recite it to me. But I think seeing those things um, really be founded and established inside of our hearts is something completely different. And so I want to charge you to that. We've set up a ministry team. So each week there'll be time for you to receive prayer. So, the things that have been talked about, the things that you've listened to, have a chance to sink a little bit deeper. I don't know how exactly we're going to pull that off with the seats, um, but we're going to have a ministry team that's available. Basically, as a church, we've realized that we both have an air war and a ground war. And typically, what happens here on a Sunday morning is the air war happens, like we launch a sermon out there, or Mike flies above and Tiffany, and then they drop some bombs in worship. And then things get stirred up inside of your heart, don't they? Yeah. Stuff starts coming to the surface. And I think there's a little bit of chaos that gets stirred up by an air war. And what I'm desiring is to see a ground war follow that, where people actually come in behind that and, and fight in really more of a hand-to-hand type way and connect with people and so that we can provide for you a place to work out what's coming up inside of you. So our, our hope is that as we preach The book of Ephesians, as we pray the book of Ephesians, as we proclaim the book of Ephesians, um, that bombs would be dropped and that a ground war would follow that and that we'd be able to engage in some some hand-to-hand combat through both a ministry team and some home groups that will be started. So we'll be starting home groups for about 10 weeks from now until Easter. And a lot of the themes that get tackled in these home groups will center around what's being stirred up through the book of Ephesians. That's kind of a snapshot of of where we're headed and a snapshot of really how the church in Ephesus penetrated a pagan culture. Let's pray together. Father, if we we're really honest, um, we have a good idea of what we're not supposed to do and sometimes have no clue about what we are supposed to do. So now that we've let go of these things, now that we've, uh, you know, gotten rid of the stuff that was in the way, what, what now, God? I just want to uh, echo uh, David Moore's prayer and ask that you would grace us because I know some people here are going to leave things behind, never to be picked up again. But I want to ask, God, that you um, would grace us to take up your cross and follow you. That it's not just about leaving things behind, but it's about following you. I pray that you would mobilize this church. I pray that through this book you would unite this church. I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we would experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. That you'd make us bold so bold that we'd even speak in tongues that's crazy <laughs> i pray also that you would sensitize us to the spiritual realm lord we just we just confess this morning that we're just numbed out pray that you'd wake us up to what's going on behind the scenes teach us how to war in the spirit And I pray for those that just feel collapsed, that you would stand them up. I pray for those that are standing, that you would cause us to walk in unity with you and others. I pray, Lord, that as we walk with you, that we would learn to war. You would teach our hands to fight. We love you and we thank you for being the head of this church, Jesus. You're the head of your church. And we thank you for your commitment. (laughs) man. I'm so glad it's not my job to build a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I thank you for your commitment to your church. To raise up a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. A church that would be described as as being radiant. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. And there is a heavenly city That I'm compelled to find Oh, I love the flowers and trees And the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life. And I.